0: To this week's episode. Um, I'm excited today to see where Psalms 3 is going to take us. But first, how's your week been? You know, I've found this last week that I'm just increasingly busy. And I I really believe that's the story that everybody that's listening could relate to with just for me, it's with church, family, podcasts, uh, work, and all the other things that I deal with in a week. Uh, My time's increasingly monopolized. While I don't have kids, in the house anymore that I have to care for, I'm sure many of you do, and I know from experience that that adds to the busyness. And listen, with that, a shout out to the moms and dads and dads. Let's face it, mostly moms that keep the family life organized and keep a tight schedule so we know where to go, what to do on any given day. Uh, but to all of you, I'd give the admonition that I give to myself daily: uh, take time to spend time with your Lord. You know, read your Bible, spend precious minutes in conversation with Him, study something, read a book that will contribute to your growth. It's funny how I can find time in my schedule for gaming or watching something on TV, but when the end of the week comes around, I'm like extremely hungry for Sunday morning because I hadn't, haven't had any spiritual meals uh, or even snacks throughout the week. You know, a great way to get in some time in the Bible is to be a part of the Abide Challenge here at Lake Worth Baptist Church. Uh, Abide is just a it's a Bible reading program that will get you into the Bible to kind of read through it. There are varying levels, uh, but there's something for everybody. Um, we're almost halfway through the year, but listen, if you decide to join us in it, don't try to catch up. Uh, Just jump right in where we're at. You know, the best way to start reading God's word is to start. Now, if you look in your Bible, this chapter that we're about to start in Psalm may have a superscription, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. There was a lot going on in David's life when he penned this psalm. Uh, Absalom, his own son, had been conspiring against him. Uh, He was turning the people against David and trying to steal his throne. What Absalom had done is he posted up by the gates of the city and would call out to people that he didn't recognize to see if they were coming to get or get a hold of the ear of the king. And if they said they were there to see the king, he would tell them that, hey, listen, the king, none of his advisors, they don't have time for you. But, hey, if you come off to the side here, I would gladly help you and hear your petition. And so in doing this, what he really did was he stole the hearts of the men of Israel, the Bible says. He persuaded people uh, to stand every time they heard a trumpet announcing the king and say instead that Absalom, not David, reigned in Hebron. And not only that, he called one of David's most cherished confidants, a close friend by the name of Ahithophel, to join his conspiracy, and Ahithophel gladly joined. I mean, he just jumped ship. And a messenger comes to David in secret and informs him that the hearts of the men of Israel are for Absalom and had turned against him. Well, David quickly packs up his family and and what he could take with him and fled under the threat of death. You know, the the scores of people that rose against him increased exponentially as Israel joined together behind Absalom. And David rightfully had cause to be angry or afraid and to feel abandoned. But in the midst of what could have been despair, he pens Psalm 3. In Psalm 3, the Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Lord. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. And I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. They have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah.
1: All right, are you ready for a little walk?
0: So when we look at the structure of the psalm, I don't want to skip over the selah portions. You know, selah kind of acts as a dividing measure in a psalm. There are a lot of different theories about what selah is meant to prompt. Uh, While the core meaning of it is to stop and reflect, we, we can't fail to remember that these were Israelite hymns that were to be sung. These stop-and-reflect portions could have acted as interludes in a song or verse, uh, chorus and bridge dividers, it, much like the structure of some of the worship music we have today. Now, in the first verse, David cries out to God and exclaims, Look at how many people have come against me. And rightfully so. Not only had friends and family risen up against him, but they had caused his very own people that he loved and had protected, to turn against him. I mean, these are the people that once raved, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. You know, how fickle is earthly popularity? What once had been a band of 50 that had originally joined Absalom at the gate had turned into an army. And as he hid, fearful for his life, It would have been so easy for David to fall into despair. You know, have you ever looked around at the opposition of your life? Maybe it's your workplace. It's that one person or group of people that it just feels like they really have it out for you. They're constantly sabotaging your work. They're throwing you under the bus every chance they get. You know, maybe it's not a work thing. Maybe you had a horrible family life growing up. And that, that is really some difficult opposition to get over. When growing up, you felt like even your family was against you, you, you may echo David and say, many are they that rise up against me. You know, there are things and circumstances and people that can and will try to keep us down. As Christians, we think of persecution we suffer from all sides, as we're attacked by society, government, shifting social norms. In a post-Christian society, I can't help but recall my favorite verse in the Bible, uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, in which Paul lets us and Timothy know, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And don't think for a minute we're not living in a post-Christian society. In no other modern age could you say about America that there are actually people who have never heard the name of Christ as anything other than an expletive. When we no longer hold and cherish Judeo-Christian values as a nation, and our government seeks to strip God-given rights from its people in the interest of serving the people that it somehow considers a majority, friend, I'm telling you, We're living in a post-Christian society. Now, if you didn't feel outnumbered before,
1: do you feel it now? Are you there with David in
0: verse 1? And we're not even in verse 2 yet. David knew that not only was his opposition growing in numbers, they were mocking him behind his back and to his face. You know, Spurgeon said of this verse, verse 2, If all the trials which come from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from earth could be mixed and pressed together, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse. And in this trial, the same multitude that was rising up against him was crying, Where's your God now? Hey, where's the protection from your God? Where's this vengeance from your God? Where's the strength that you say your God has? Well, why hasn't He protected you from your own son? Why did He allow your closest counselor to turn from you? Why has He allowed the people to be set against you? You know, David, your God doesn't seem to be much of a help. And so the cry that mocks our faith. You know, if God is so good and powerful, why does he allow so many bad things to happen? If God is so great, why do you have cancer? If God is so great, why have you lost your child? You know, if God is so great, why has he taken your spouse, your father, your mother? Where's your help in the God you believe in now? It seems he's left you just like everyone else. And as we're stricken with malady in our lives, how easy it is for the unsaved to look and say, Huh, seems your God isn't so great after all. Is there a help for our soul? Can we stand against physical, emotional, spiritual persecution from all sides? And so concludes the first verse of our hymn here. The music up until now, has been subdued, and it's in a minor key. It's conveying the despair that David must have felt, and it's matching the despair that we ourselves sometimes fear. But, you know, suddenly the haunting minor fades as a major key becomes apparent in Silah. The music swells, and while harps had held the melody in the first verse, trumpets announce the triumphant second verse of the song because in verse 3 the second verse of the of the song starts and we see the beginning of yet another but god but thou o lord but god you god despite the seeming insurmountable mob that screams at me and chases after me there is you you interject and intercede in my trouble. When the world screams doubt in my face, when my coworkers don't want me to succeed, when my friends betray me because my life has changed once I got serious about you, you interject yourself and counter to all the oppression in my life with, but God. You are a shield for me, David says. Let them hurl their darts of doubt. Let them try and tear me down. Because while they may tear me down, it only leaves room for me to be built back up in you. You're the shield against my total destruction. Where they see defeat, you see opportunity. Where they see weakness in me, it's just you becoming my strength. And this isn't a shield that only protects against a frontal assault. God, you are the ultimate shield because I don't have to wield you. You're more like this force field that protects me from enemies I can't see and angles that I can't anticipate. Because for every threat and enemy I can see, you see the multitudes on all sides. You said they would hate me because they hated you, and you know that their intent is to destroy. David was assured beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord had his back. To David, it wasn't about what he had accomplished in his kingdom, because he knew the Lord was his glory. So why would he try to glory in himself? Why why worry about losing his kingdom? when it was God's kingdom, and he was just the caretaker. He knew if God could get the glory through how he worked in his life, he could get the glory in this situation too. It wasn't about David's status. God didn't love him because he was king. God loved him,
1: period. in all of our
0: struggles, when all seems lost and we feel defeated, God still sits on the throne. He's still glorified in our suffering. And it's from our suffering that we can call to him, and he meets us right there. No help for David and God? David had the very presence of God with him in his trouble, a God that would never leave him alone. If that's not God helping us in our trouble, what is? We get this expectation that being a Christian means God is going to help us out of every bad situation or solve every problem for us, that, that somehow we'll never struggle. No, being a Christian means that in those times that we don't understand, God is with us and we're not in it alone. You know, go ask the world if they have that. Oh, look at David and how his kingdom is being ripped from him. Look at the Christian and see how they've lost their job. Look at the Christian and see how they've been in a car accident and are now bound to a wheelchair for the rest of their lives. You know, while the world sees those circumstances and wants to mock, Christian, those are the circumstances where God gets glory through us. He becomes our glory, and we can only glory in Him. Because we do lose our jobs. We do suffer loss, and some of us do wind up bound to wheelchairs or bedridden. And God is right there with us. You know, Joni Erickson Tata, a a Christian quadriplegic author, painter, and singer who worships God continually from her pain and disability, said in an interview that. We have to live with what we're going through, and in her case, it's daily pain. Confident that a sovereign God has you in the midst of it for a reason. And her words echo with tones of David's affirmation that God was the lifter of his head. David, like Joseph before him, seems to say, While my oppressors thought evil against me, God meant it unto good for he still gets the glory. And there, in our pit of despair, where we think we may be alone in the first verse of the song that David is singing, we find here in the second verse that God, right there with us, reaches under our chin and lifts our head to look at him and says to us,
1: I'm here. I'm here in the attack.
0: I'm here in the suffering. I'm here despite all the seeming insurmountable odds stacked against you. Yes, your foes are many, but my name is mighty and wonderful, and I've promised not to leave you, and you are safe in me.
1: Here, lift your head and look around,
0: because I'm in control of all of it. We cried to him just as David did, and our cries didn't fall on deaf ears. We don't worship the gods of this earth, so our God hears us. Like Elijah, when he surprised Israel by setting up a showdown in 1 Kings 18 between the Lord God Jehovah and Baal, our cries are heard by our God. When the world cries out to the gods of status, the gods of social justice, the gods they've created themselves to be, how can you expect help from a higher power if you've come to the conclusion that you are the highest power, that, that you're at the mercy of your own maladies? Wherein is your hope?
1: Does, does Buddha hear you? Krishna,
0: which God should you pray to in this instance of the thousands you worship? Will Allah reach down and lift your head? Will he be there in the suffering with you? You know, like Elijah, I have to bring in some harsh sarcasm. Oh, you know what? Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe your God had to just step out for a minute. Maybe your God decided it was time to take a vacation. Hey, maybe your God can't hear you, so
1: you should scream a little louder. My God hears the tiniest whisper.
0: My God knows when I think his name. My God knows what will happen and when before I do, and he's already equipping me for whatever comes next. He heard my cry, and he's immediately there because he is always there, and there is never a cry he doesn't hear. And he doesn't just take his time. He doesn't have to finish up with someone else's need before he addresses mine. He has the bandwidth to help and be there for all his people simultaneously in full omnipotence. He doesn't have to spread his power out to be our shield and lifter of our head. His power is enough and more than to be all the power to all his people that need it everywhere, and he still has so much left over, we can't fathom the reach of it. And it knows no end. And this is the the amazement of the Christian. It knows us. And it's here that the trumpeter's, have crescendo to a frenzied sound of glorious praise in the song. They conclude with a drop, and the breakdown leads us straight to an Old Testament musical bridge. The music drops out, and the percussive timbrels begin to beat, softly at first, but increasing as David describes the peace of knowing his God hears him brings. I laid me down and slept. Despite those chasing me, threatening my life, I knew that my God's got this, and I slept like a baby. You you know those things that keep you awake at night?
1: God's got them. The
0: failures of the day and the challenges of tomorrow? God's got this. Your your kids aren't living the life you prayed for them. You're going through a challenge in your life, health-related, and it's emotionally draining, and you just don't know why. Hey, God's got this. Christian sleep. God hasn't given you a spirit of anxiety. Surgery coming up? Unknown situation at work, at home? Have you cried to him? Does he know about it? Call on his name.
1: He's got this.
0: Why should I worry and be troubled when I have a heavenly father who only wants good for me? Anxiety can't define me. Fear can't define me. Pain can't define me. See, I'm not my sin and I'm and I'm not the result of the sin in this world. I'm a product of a creator who knows me by name and has assured me that he holds tomorrow. Uncertainty and unrest? A nation torn and divided? God's reach is not cut short by the trappings of mankind. Close your eyes and sleep, knowing that an almighty God has you in his hand, and in his hands, no one can touch you. Sleep because, Paul, as Paul victoriously says for us in Romans 8:37 through 39, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus Our Lord. You know, to quote Warren Worship's song, My Keeper, who am I to worry? Who am I to fear? Who am I to question? You've always been my keeper. Who am I to wonder? Who am I to hide? Who am I to doubt you? You've always been my keeper. You know, David didn't do those things. Why should we? We serve the same God. David slept in the confidence that he would wake. When he says, I awaken, he's not describing his circumstance. He's saying he awakened because the Lord sustained him. He gave the issue to the Lord and slept in peace, knowing that he would awaken in the presence of his sustainer. And it's here in the song that we're singing that all the timbrels join in the beat of the psalm and the trumpets come back into the melody. The harps join in the harmony and the lutes swell and David declares, I don't care how this psalm started. I won't be afraid of the ten thousands against me. I won't back down though I'm surrounded. My God is greater than the God of those that oppose me, that threaten me. You know, tell me I can't share the gospel at work and watch God give me an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Tell me I can't do anything good for God because I'm bound to a wheelchair. Watch me be a prayer warrior, though my health won't let me go to church. Tell me God can't get the glory, though I've come from a broken home. See how God can use me despite this trauma I've experienced in my life. Go ahead and watch God use the former alcoholic, the former drug addict, the former prostitute. Watch God use the murderer born again through a prison ministry to witness and lead to salvation countless inmates. In God, we're not afraid of the opposition of this world because in him we find victory. In him we are more than conquerors. Arise, O Lord. All you have to do to silence them is get up. All you have to do is stand, and the power of your holy presence causes those once bold enemies to tremble. Isaiah, in the book that bears his name, chapter 59, verse 1, says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. You know, Isaiah is basically affirming that God's protection and willingness to fight for us has a long reach. When he stands up to raise his hand, there is nowhere that our foes can hide from him, no place that they can go to outrun him. His ears are never engaged in a way that they cannot hear us, no matter where we are. And when he stands up and raises his strong right arm, foes beware there is a God-sized smack coming. And when he smacks down the opposition, he decimates and he obliterates it. He smacks our enemies that have now become his enemies so hard across the face that he breaks their teeth. Those teeth that they've sharpened to sink into our flesh like predators, they're nothing against the strong hand of a God who is mighty to save. When this is our protection, our shield, When this mighty, conquering, and ever-victorious God is the God that we align ourselves with, and make no mistake, God's not on your side. You need to get on his. But when this is our champion, who dares stand against him? And who will continue to stand before him? David also realizes that in this situation, he need not cry out to anyone else. He dare not rest on his own ability to deliver himself. Christian, learn a lesson from this and stop trying to do things in your own power. You don't have to be strong enough. He is your strength. You don't have to find a way. He's the way maker. You don't have to come up with an answer. He is the answer. And you know, don't get me wrong, because it's all too easy for me to try and solve things of my own accord. It's all too easy for me to look at the opposition of the day and think, "Hey, God's already equipped me for this.
1: I've I've got it."
0: No, he's got it. Stop thinking he has you in a trial to test your strength. He has you in a trial so you can test His strength. The Lord wants you to prove Him. His promises are without fault. His promises are true. Oh, I just have to make it through today and then the next day and the next day. No, brother or sister, you don't have to make it. You just have to let Him. You know, Joseph Scriven so deftly penned these words that capture this psalm so well. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. And thou wilt find a solace there. You know, like David, and I would venture to say possibly because of him, old Joe understood that our Lord can save us when we face such great opposition. Sometimes it's not the enemies without that plague us, sometimes it's the enemies within. Sometimes our past wants to attack us. And sometimes those easy sins that the devil likes to tempt us with come at us. And make no mistake, we all have an easy sin. And some of us have many. And what I'm calling easy sins here are those sins that we've always struggled with. The ones that held on to us for the longest time. And every time we think we've moved past them, Boy, the devil sure does like to bring them back around.
1: Is it drunkenness? Drugs? Sex? Lying? Gossip? Is it pornography?
0: Is it covetousness? Do you have to have what everyone else has? Is it dissatisfaction? you always need
1: one more thing? Well, that may have been my own toe there.
0: But listen, whatever it is, I can guarantee you that is where the devil will try to get you the most. He knows your weakness and he knows our proclivity not to allow the Lord to handle it with his strength because we don't want to take it to him. You know, the triumphant tag to the song that we're singing following the final course of the Lord arising is introduced as the flutes play out the melody in the background. Salvation belongeth to the Lord. You can't stay away from those things yourself. You can't overcome the enemy's, the enemy, yourself. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Every opposition to us is just like every opposition David faced. It was and is the devil and his minions trying to thwart God's plan. And the arrogance of the devil and his lack of foreknowledge, that the same kind of foreknowledge that God has that he lacks, That's led him to believe he can actually be successful. But fellow believer, we're fighting a battle our God has already won. And herein is his blessing. We never face opposition alone. While foes may rise against us and friends turn their backs on us, we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and a God that has never failed. You want to see a blessed people? Throw some opposition at the family of God and watch what our God can do. Now, I know this episode has been about the blessing of being a triumphant and peaceful Christian, but there's a beautiful gospel message here too. Because all of what we've discussed can only be a reality if you're in the family of God. You might ask, how do I join this family and have this peaceful victory? Realize that the devil is against you, and he wants you to believe that the bad things that you do aren't sin.
1: He wants you to believe that you're not really that bad at all.
0: these truths that we've gone through are exclusively for sinners saved by grace and that is the only thing that separates a christian from an unbeliever is grace as christians we've merely realized that we couldn't conquer in our own power so we accepted christ's victory over sin by putting our trust and faith in him.
1: Don't you want to conquer your opposition too? Because this victory can be yours if you have Christ. And lastly, to the
0: redeemed, I say, hey, go get some rest. Lay whatever it is down at his feet and lay your head down and sleep. You will awake because the Lord cares for you. His salvation is the greatest blessing we can experience, and even that is just the beginning. Hey, thanks for walking with me a little while as we read the Word together. I'm already looking forward to next week when we get to head a little further down the path to Psalm 4. I can't wait to get together again with God's Word between us.